You're listening to The Dice Men Cometh, broadcast live to air on Edge Radio 99.3 FM and proudly sponsored by LFG Australia. The Dice Men Cometh! Good evening, good evening, good evening, good evening, and welcome to The Dice Men Cometh, episode 332 on Edge Radio 99.3 FM, where we're going to talk about everything board game, tabletop game, role-playing game, anything you can play on, near, or around a table. I am Leon, I thought I'd turn up for a week just for funsies, and I am joined by my two fun-time Smurfs, Mr. Mark. Mm-hmm, here and, I am. And Mr. Garth. I say fun-time Smurfs because it is rather chilly in here, and for some reason the <laughs> aircon in the studio decided to be on the cold setting, which is not good for a Tasmanian winter. No. Do Smurfs live in the cold? They're blue. <laughs> ah, there we go. I get the reference now. <laughs> yes, <laughs> indeed you do. So, like I said, we're going to be talking about tabletop games and board games and all that kind of fun stuff. Marky boy. Garth and Leon, I've got some news. Oh, news? oh we haven't done that in <laughs> years by this point. <laughs> oh, flashbacks. Except it's not news. It's mail. Oh, okay. there you go. I don't uh, know what the sting is for that. Whoosh. But it's, it's mail from the designer of Tharos. Again, oh. we reviewed two episodes ago. Is that Burn Burn Schultz? Burn Schultz, yes. And he listened uh, to our review. Oh. Oh. oh that's right. Hi, Bernie. Yeah. Um, but the yeah. good thing is... Yeah, mate. He appreciated a lot of what we had to say, and he's actually gone into a lot of detail telling us a bit of the history around Tharos, which, believe it or not, he started designing it in 2011. Crikey. Um, inspired by the dice bag builder, Quarriers, believe it or not. I mean, two games that couldn't be further apart, really. Well, apart a from they both have weird names. Steampunk version of Quarriers? Uh, I don't know. So he thought he would design a game, but he wanted to make it a hardcore gamer's game. And he whipped up a little something that he played with a few friends. He called it Tharos Original that had about three times as many moving parts as what it is now. Yep. And all his friends were like, you've got to send this to a game company. This is amazing. And he did. Um, he sent it to one game company. I don't know if we should mention the name. And they went back and forth and did demos and prototypes and all that sort of stuff and got him to make changes and basically got it to where it didn't resemble at all the original game. And then they said they didn't want to publish it anymore. <laughs> um, so then he um, spoke to Spielworks. Yep. And Uli from Spielworks. And then over three long years, there was back and forth and back and forth and editing, um, millions and millions and millions of emails. And we get the Tharos. And as he points out, which is, I think it's one of the things we said, he says, there are two types of people in the world. <laughs> there are the people who absolutely love Tharos. And he even um, included a link to a review on Board Game Geek where this person says it's their absolute favouritest game in the world. That person and their wife, they love to play it, much like, I guess, Rado and Jen as a two-player game with not no confrontation. Yeah, okay. Um, they so absolutely love the it. Circum, Date, something, Halo something. Trust. Let's okay. not go down that rabbit hole. Well, they're, they're the combat. You're not yes. fighting the other players. You're fighting this random... Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, Evil and then overlord. obviously the second type of players, which I guess potentially we fell into, were the people that don't like the game so much. He, of course, 
talked about the look of the game, which we commented on, on a lot. And yep. apparently the original version was much more steampunky. Mm-hmm. But through the work they did with the various iterations of the game, it became less so. And he reminded us about the story, which is available on Board Game Geek, the whole eight chapters, which I think we did mention. But of course, um, he also pointed out that English isn't his native language, uh, which is one of the reasons why it's the dual language version. Makes sense. Um, but I think it was great to hear from a designer to hear the story behind a game. And as we said, a lot of what we said where it felt like there was a game in there, but I guess the angle we took was, oh, maybe it needed more refinement. It sounded like it actually maybe got over-refined, which took it away from the essence of what yeah. it was. And look, I guess, you know, when we got this email, the first thought is, <gasps> yeah, this is not going to be pretty Because yeah, right. we didn't give it, you know, a... a glowing recommendation and we didn't say go out and buy this game but we gave it you know in in our own opinions a a fair review which is what we're here to do and and every time even going back years and years and years when we were were very new to this show we would contact designers or publishers to say hey we're going to say we don't like this game do you mind and every single time they said no what we do care about is did you play the game correctly yeah and as long as you played it correctly then that's all we ask you to do and give us your honest thoughts and that's what we strive to do. I can't even remember who it was, but there was one game we flat out said to her and it was quite a big publisher. We said, if you want us to talk about this, we're going to say this is one of the worst things we've ever played. And they're like, great, I look forward to listening to it. <laughs> and that's just excellent to see that people still have a sense of humour about these type of things. But no, I'm very happy that um, Byrne did get in touch with us. And as we said, there were aspects of that Tharos, even though we didn't like it overall, that we thought yeah. there's something in here. So I'm more than happy to look into games that he develops in the future. So good on him for getting yeah. in touch and, and being being a grown up about it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Garth, mm-hmm. you've got some news I do. That, that the listeners have been hanging out to hear yeah. about our BorderCon competition. Well, that's it. The 31st of May has come and gone, and that was the deadline for our BorderCon competition. And we are very happy to say that we have drawn the winner. Mm-hmm. The winner has accepted the ticket. Mm. The winner has asked us to not say their name. They've, they've just said, look, we don't want to um, shout it from the rooftops, and that's totally fair enough. We yeah. respect that. But what we can say is that the winner only also wanted one ticket. So we said, okay, that's absolutely fair enough. Congratulations. Um, And we donated the ticket back to the BorderCon committee because obviously it's a sold out event. Um, We know that obviously there are plenty of people who want to go. And look, we have really good news because they were able to um, basically give this ticket to someone who's wanted to attend BorderCon who's had a shocking period of time recently without going into specifics. It's been a very, very, very difficult time. So thankfully, there's someone who has had a tough time that can hopefully now um, come to BorderCon and have a great couple of days of gaming. So as we sit here right now, Thursday the 2nd of of June, (gasps) this time next week, we're there. Oh, yeah. I cannot wait. We fly out Thursday next week bright and early in the morning. (laughs) So BorderCon... Well, Wednesday night, basically. (laughs) This is for you that prepare for three dice men to enter. Yeah. And hopefully three dice men leave. <laughs> oh, but we'll, well, we'll leave, but it depends on what state we're leaving. <laughs> we will uh, anticipate, and anticipate being in, in BorderCon, or at least in Albury, on or around lunchtime of Thursday. And uh, if you catch any of us sleeping, or if you catch Leon not with a drink in his hand, <laughs> please make sure you do something about oh, it. Oh, God. 
So All right. look, apart from that, what are we doing this this episode? We've already gone through and done something a little bit differently. We've had some feedback from the designer previously and we've announced that Botacon competition. But we have to talk about two games. Two huge games. And we will, I guess, start by talking about the hugest of them first, mm. which is Wonderland's War. Oh All I'm going to say is that you are listening to The Dice Men Cometh. It is Edge Radio 99.3 FM. Here is a song and we'll be back in a moment. Hello everyone, it's Mark here, just joining you in a break in the action to let you know how you can get more Dice Men Cometh. What? There's more? Absolutely there is. You may have heard rumours of our secret episodes. Well now it's not a secret and I want to tell you how you get access to them. All you have to do is join us on Patreon and not only will you be able to access these amazing secret episodes which our current Patreons have been raving about 90 to 120 minutes of fun and frivolity all sorts of interactions with Patreon listeners and also some red hot top 10s it's a much more relaxed chatty style from the normal podcast and everyone who has been listening has really been enjoying them not only that you get a pair of exclusive dice. When you join up, you'll automatically be entered into a quarterly friends-only board game giveaway. And as I said, you can ask questions and interact with us as part of the secret episodes. And finally, you get to earn the title of official friend of the Dice Men just by supporting us. We appreciate the support so much of everyone that already does. And we love producing these extra episodes for you. I'm sure you would love it if you aren't already listening. So please consider checking out patreon.com forward slash Dicemen Cometh and seeing if you think it's a value for you. Anyway, back to the show. Well, there you go. Edge Radio 99.3 FM with J. Robert Youngtown, a Tassie act, with that song, Billy Wonder Kid. I see what he did there. And yeah. you're with the Dice Men Cometh on Edge Radio. Now, talking of Billy Wonder Kid, I wonder if he had a land and they had a war there, whether it would be called Billy Wonder Kid's Land's War. I hope not. <laughs> It's a mouthful. It doesn't sound like a great name for a game, but what is a great game? And it's just, it's running off the shelves, out of the stores, up the hotness of Board Game Geek, and that is Wonderland's War. And we have to say that our copy of Wonderland's War came to us directly from and so kindly by Good Games Australia. And you can check out their online store at goodgames.com.au. Please do, because they are great supporters of not only us, but also the Australian gaming scene. And the game we're about to talk about, you can go there and buy it. It is in stock right now. Which, unlike a lot of online stores at the moment, yeah. they've got back order or sold out or all those other things. So yeah. yes, they've absolutely got it in stock. Excellent. Well, how, about, how about we tell them why yeah. you should maybe consider buying this game? Because mm. yep. if you like the sound of this... Yep. 
then you need to jump online, hey? Excellent. So, Wonderland Wars, or because my printer cut it off on this piece of paper, Derland Wars, <laughs> which sounds like a game that we would probably design, um, is based, of course, on the Lewis Carroll Alice books, most famously Alice in Wonderland, which was from 1865. You remember that, Mike? Yeah, I was around. Yeah. That takes place a little bit later yeah. than the game I'm about to talk about after this. Very interesting. It was also famously made into a Disney cartoon in 1951. Oh, that was Dumbo. No, oh. it was it was Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> We're also famously half the staff were stoned out of their mind for half of it, if you've read into the story of it, which makes it a bit more interesting. Or more recently, uh, in 2010, it was made into a film by Mr. Tim Burton starring, shockingly, Helena Bonham Carter and Johnny Depp. And much like everything that uh, Mr. Burton has done over the last 20 years, it looks amazing, but is absolute bollocks. <laughs> so, this game, it was designed by Druid City Games, who are known for Grim Forest, which was nominated for one of the Spiel Awards many years ago. Mm. It's a game that looks amazing. That's And another game called Tidal Blades, which none of us have yet played, but it is a game that I always like the look of. Um, and it is designed by Tim and Ben Eisner, who designed both of those two previous mentioned games it is a two to five player area control slash bag building push your luck game that takes roughly 90 minutes to two hours ish that doesn't say it on the box that's what we're saying and your first game will probably take a little bit longer than that because that's how we roll wouldn't Um, it be great if board games said this is the learning time yeah yeah that's true (laughs) um it was on kickstarter originally and over eight thousand nearly nine thousand backers pledged for a total of six hundred and seventy nine thousand two hundred and eighteen dollars if they did another kickstarter today and put out an expansion for this i reckon that number would be quite a bit more Mm. and you're about to find out why so in the game you take on the role of one of the five famous wonderlandians well visitors to wonderland in some cases uh being alice of course uh the queen of hearts the cheshire cat the evil little Jabberwock, and the Mad Hatter, everybody's favourite. Well, my favourite, because that's the one I wanted to pick. <laughs> so the game is broken down into two segments. There is the tea party phase and the war phase. You do both of these phases three times, then the person with the most victory points at the end, they're the winner. Who'd have thunk it? A new invi- invitation, invitation. Invitation. <laughs> A new invention in board gaming in 2020. Wow, you're going quite mad, boy. <laughs> yes. I knows not what I'm talking about. I has not radioed in a while. So, uh, the rule book that comes with this game is very good. It's very good. It's very colourful. There's also quite a few good YouTube videos out there. The one I used to learn it is uh, by Games in a Nutshell. They did about a 20-minute video, which I found excellent. And the guy, um, I apologise that I can't remember what nationality is, but he says the word icon, icon, and I love it. I love it so <laughs> much that he says the word icon, and a big shout-out to him. His name starts with B, doesn't it? Yeah, I, like I honestly, yeah, I should know, but yeah. But Nith- he, he's Nith- awesome. I think he goes by the name Nithrania or something. That's yeah, the one. I watched it as well. Yeah. Um, And that was so much better than the other one that I'm not going to mention. Yes, indeed you do. But most of the ones on the the internet are good. There's plenty of coverage of this game, which is lovely. And I must say that that's one thing that is really important because this game looks daunting. It does. And and as you say, yes, it's there's there's two phases. There's the tea party and the war phase. But when you just look at a picture of this game, there are lots of moving pieces going on yeah and even for for us who play a lot of games read a lot of rule books it was like ah we're going to need to refer to to a video and just just make sure that what we're doing is right because it it, it is a little bit a little bit daunting so i played this independently of you lads with my uh crew of friends and yes did put some uh photos we took of it 
into our little Facebook messenger group, and that was the thing that both of you first said, my God, look at the table presence yeah. on that. It is humongous. Um, it's a bit daunting. What does the BGG complexity say for this game? So this one is 2.84. I'd say that's probably about right, because it looks more yeah. complex than it is, and especially when it looks as colourful and as lovely as the production of this game does, which, you know... It absolutely is. And if you've got your hands on the Kickstarter version, it looks even better. Mm. Um, it looks so much more daunting than it actually is. Not to say that it's simple. There's plenty here to it. But yeah, it does. When you've put it onto a table, go, whoa. And packing it up, is a different story <laughs> altogether. But, so, how do you play the game? So, during the tea party phase, phase, players will take their leader, put them at the front of the table on the tea party table and they will take turns moving around the table collecting cards you're going to be doing this because you're going to be trying to grant your players different abilities that are on the cards you're going to be doing it to get chips of different allies that you can get to put into your bag hence the bag building aspect of this game and they are characters from the alice in wonderland world they are your flamingos they are your card soldiers your rooks your roses things of that nature and Every game that you play of these, there is the set of these different chips you can put in. But in the base game, the box, and in expansion, uh, sorry, the Kickstarter version, there might even be more, there is four different sets of these. So every time you play it, you can play them with different abilities on these base cards, which every single game should have. Yeah, it's yeah. brilliant. It's great. Having four different versions of each of the allies just means that, and they recommend you start with the, the A set, yep. move your way through the alphabet, but there's nothing stopping you just mixing and matching it. Mm -hmm. And they recommend that again just for mm -hmm. replayability. It's a, an awesome little thing that wouldn't have taken too much extra time, but adds so much more to gameplay. Yeah, so you can get uh, so you can get the chips, like I said, to put into your bag. You can get other Wonderlandians, which are other characters from the, that universe. So like your Tweedledum and Tweedledee, your, your March Hare, people of that nature, as well as special kind of super chips that are like one-offs that you can put into your bag that do really powerful abilities. There are some other different bibs and bobs that you can get, and I've lost my place on the page at edit point. It's the person I've had to read a bit of paper this long. I normally just make chocolate because I'm an idiot. Uh, and yes, a num many of other number of bonuses. That's what I had to read out. That's terribly important. Um, yeah, so if you go around the table collecting these cards, if you end up getting back to the where you started... You will then refresh all the cards that are on the table, which could be good for you. More options come out, but other people could have a chance to have a crack at them as well. But if you do make a lap around the table, you then have to take a shard. Sorry, you have to roll the shard dice, which is the evil little dice in this game. Because every shard you have at the end of the game is worth negative one victory point. And those shards will come up quite thick and quite fast. Friends. And one of the things I found was moving around that table... Sometimes you, because you, you don't, you can move in basically any number of spots in a clockwise direction, unless you're Alice, then you get to move the other way around. But you can go basically to whatever card you want, but then you've got to keep moving in that same direction. So the card you want might be right all the way towards the end. You want to quickly grab that one because, say, it's got a Wonderlandian, which was one of those big standees, and it gives you a nice strong power. But then you've got to go around, reset the table, and go again. So... Obviously, you might reset the table lots of times, or you might only reset the table a few times. You may see a lot of different cards, or you may only see a few cards, depending on how you play. Yeah, and it's just a nice little twist on what is a pretty well-known mechanic. Mm. You know, I think of Francis Drake when I think of this one-way sort of avenue yeah. that you go down where you get you get to choose how far you're going ahead, but you're never going to access anything behind you again. This one gives you that freedom to go, oh, I need that card at the end of the track. And I know that at worst case, I'm going to roll a yeah. dice and get maybe three shards, but I probably will get one. 
So it's, it's a good risk-reward little benefit, and you, you basically go around and do that four times, hey? You certainly do, because everyone needs to have four of those cards with various different abilities, but one of the main things you're trying to get on those cards are supporters. And those supporters, you will take the little guys, and you will put them onto one of the five different areas in Wonderland. And those guys are where your area control aspect of this game is going to come into play. Now, they're not going to be, oh, somebody has five in this area, the other person has four, so the person with five wins that area. No, no, no. It's not that simple. Yes, that was the big, the biggest mistake we made, Garth, in the first turn, or at least I made. Yes. Because I was thinking, oh, yeah, I'm looking really good. I've got five dudes here yeah. and no, nothing else. And then you're like, okay, what? Well, your starting strength is zero, Mark. I'm, what? <laughs> yes. What? So what those dudes actually do is they give you your lives in the battle. So they give you the amount of times you can kind of screw up in the push your luck mm. aspect, which I'll get to in a second. Yeah, so once you go around, everyone gets four of those cards. You've done the tea party phase. You've done 50% of what you're going to do in this game. One of the things we do need to mention, though, and it's something that we did forget when we played it most recently, is that you've got to keep the tea party cards oh, yes. during the game. Yeah, we forgot about that bit too. Because yeah. you're going to get quest cards throughout the course of the game, yep. and some of them will say at the end of the game you need to have got a certain type or a certain number of um, tea party cards. So... Tip for new players, keep your quest, yeah. uh, keep your tea party cards. Yeah. Speaking of which, Garth, quest cards oh. are things that you can do. So on these quest cards, and I found this was a really cool mechanic, is that there was two different things you can score on the quest card. One is to do with the tea party phase. One is to do with the war phase. If you do both of them, you get an extra three victory points, which is a lovely way to go mm. because you can kind of half do it or you can not. And if you don't do them, it's not the end of the world, which is very, very nice. And then you move on to the war phase. And what is it good for, Leon? Uh, playing a board game about Alice in Wonderland. Okay, not absolutely nothing. <laughs> Anywho, so players uh, put their bags of chips and they will fight throughout all the different w regions. Winning a region grants you victory points um, depending on the round, but you can also get uh, a castle which will grant you additional points at the end of the game as well as additional strength in that region which follows throughout the game. Because if you win a region, or if you have a battle in a region, and you don't use all your lives, the dudes you have in that region will stay there for the next round, or possibly the rest of the game, depending on how you go. Which is something we almost missed the first time I played it, and ah. luckily we figured that out in the rules, because that would have changed the way the game played quite a bit. Yes. But it's a handy thing to know. So anyone that has units in the region takes, place, uh, takes part in the battle. In each round of the combat, players will draw one chip from their bag each turn and increase their strength. And like I said, the dudes on there are just your lives, but you'll be drawing from your bag, and that will increase your strength. So there's also madness chips in there. Oh, they're yes. going to be the ones that are going to take your lives away, those evil madness chips. And they're also going to be the way that you're going to end up refilling your bag, because once you kind of bust or burst a certain amount, that's how you're going to get your bag refilled. But you're going to push your luck, much like a Quacks of Quedlingburg would be the best way to describe it these days. Yep. So that's what this game is kind of a mix of. It's kind of a mix of your area control for us would be kind of an El Grande type thing with your Quacks of Quedlingburg. And, you know, mix those two games together and put it, make it shiny and colourful. Ooh, that's a winning combination. <laughs> so that's what you're going to be doing. Uh, and I've lost my place again. Do you need my glasses, mate? Yeah, possibly. <laughs> but either way, so you do that and you'll keep pulling all the different uh, characters out of the bag and you'll be doing like various different attack powers based off your character as well as special abilities you've got from your Wonderlandians and the different units that you have. And then whoever has the most or gets the 25 first is the winner of that territory. And I can't stress how much fun this part of the game is. Yeah, it's good. And this is where the game truly shines at the higher player counts because... Um, Mark, you and I played it last night again, yes. and we played it with three, and the vast majority of the battles were two players in. 
you know, and this meant that the one player wasn't involved, although they can do a wager to choose, you know, make a get gamble on who's going to win. Yep. But the, the, the game really comes alive, as does the table, when you've got three or four people in one battle. Because all of these this bag drawing is all happening simultaneously. Yeah. So everyone draws out the first chip at the same time. And you hear around the table, hey, or, oh, or swear words, or something in between because you've just drawn this really, really powerful um, you know, chip. It might be, say, one of the A-ally flamingos, yep. which has a strength of, say, one or three. But its ability is it'll double the next chip that you've drawn, the strength of that one. And that can be a massive if you've then got a rook, which is a six strength. Yes. And it becomes a 12, which is halfway to your 25 to win, basically. Yep. So that's where this game really, really becomes special. Although, Garth, you've made the same mistake that you made last night, which is that rooks have a special ability that says they can't be affected by your other chips, so it can't actually be doubled. But that gives a great example of the complexity of this game when all these different chips come in. And another thing I want to mention now, just talking about these multifaceted battles, is that that challenge, that dilemma, where I think you start with, is it 10 supporters, something like that, which are your meeply things. So you've, got, you've only got a, a one little pool of them, You've got five battle areas, but obviously you're looking and you've got these little chips that go onto the battle area that determine the victory points for first round, second round, third round, which are randomised at the start of the game. So you might look and go, well, that area in the first round is only worth two victory points, so I'm not going to go there. These other areas might be worth four or six or eight. Do you divide your 10 or so meeples amongst the five areas so you can be in every battle, or do you throw yourself holders bolus into just one or two to give you a better chance of winning it? I find that was a real puzzle because I wanted to be involved in more battles, but also I wanted to give myself the best chance, which means I sort of had to concentrate. But in the section that Leon's about to come to, I'm sure you can unlock more meeples. Yes, you certainly can. One of the characters that you can pull from your bag are the roses. And when you unlock uh, the roses, they will go onto your lovely designed player board. We should probably put that out there now. The components of this game are basically 10 on 10. If you've got the Kickstarter version, mm. they're pretty much 11 on 10 oh, in least. terms of the graphical design and the way it looks. Your player board has heaps of different spaces for things that you can upgrade. And when you put certain chips, you can do a thing called forging. If you have the forge tokens that come out, you can put chips onto your board and then you can unlock all these different kind of special abilities. All the characters have so many different unique yeah. special abilities to them. Um, it's not even worth mentioning because there's so many of them. Yeah. You can check it out for yourself. Uh, all of them start off with one special ability. Like you said, Alice can move around the tea party um, uh, anti-clockwise. Yep. Yep. Yes. Um, and things like, like the Mad Hatter, for instance, can do a thing where he refreshes the whole board, can take one from anywhere he wants, and doesn't have to move, oh, no, awesome. which was such a good special yeah. ability. But things like the Red Queen, who when she puts out dudes to different areas, she doesn't have to put them all in the one area, which is a, um, a rule in the game. She can split them wherever she pleases. So different little things like that will affect the game as it goes. And the Jabberwocky just likes to poison people because he sucks. <laughs> and at this point, I just want to say... and. I don't like it when it's a game where we're all talking glowingly about it. So I'm tr I'd love to be the person who comes in with a, with a diverging opinion, but I don't think I'm going to be because it's so much fun. I love the thematicness of all these things. So obviously, you know, if you think back to Alice in Wonderland, the Red Queen, she's like tossing the cards that then turn into soldiers. Yep. So they're going everywhere. Alice, everything is backwards for her. The Mad Hatter is just crazy and he even has a special ability where he doesn't even leave the table. Yep. And join the fight. It's, 
every little sort of twist I found just tied into the theme perfectly, uh, which I guess they didn't have to do, but the fact they do just makes it lovely. You don't have to know the story inside and out to know that, you know, another one that comes to mind is you had there was one Wonderlandian. In fact, I guess there was two. You had two standees of Tweedledum and Tweedledee, and you could put them in two different fights, but when one of them got defeated, he went and joined the other one in the other area, which yeah. I've got to do. Just little <laughs> things like that um, just really add to the game, make it even more enjoyable. Yeah, so you go through this battle, you find out who wins, you get your castles, you get your victory points, you move on to the next battle, so you do all five for the five different regions, and that's one round of the game. You do the exact same thing mm. two more times after that, each time you refill the uh, Tea Party board with even stronger and stronger yeah. cards, which have even more really cool things that come out on them, and you do that a few times, and then at the end of it, you count up that stuff on top of you know the victory points you've already got on top of the quests that you've completed the castles and how much they score which you can increase by unlocking stuff on your player board as well as on the other special abilities and then that's it and that's the game so yeah, then you minus your shards oh yeah don't forget the shards. Yeah, the shards which will, will come out quite a lot they as, will. especially when yes yeah, so that's evil madness bag which just fills up all the time and yeah so yeah. that is what happens it, it is and that's that's where this game stops being daunting and starts being fun because once you've done pretty much one round of the tea party and one round of combat you know it yeah that's what that's, that's the game that's the, the game, game doesn't get more complicated yeah. than that and the chips themselves aren't necessarily going to become more complicated than that except when the new wonderlandians come out but the great thing is whenever you take a wonderlandian you get the card that goes along with it so right in front of you for the game you know exactly what those chips do yeah the other thing is about the allies, the flamingos and the roses and the rooks and all of that, is each player gets the relevant ally yep. card player aid, which yep. means that right next to you, every player has, this is the abilities of each of the ally cards right there. There's no leaning over the table to yep. read the cards and all of that. And it's just those simple user quality of life decisions that have been made that makes this game so approachable and so accessible when it looks really daunting initially. Yeah, I think you're right. There's just, there's so many little things that add to this. Another one to me that uh, that comes to mind is the issue of the shards. So as we said, shards are bad, negative victory points. A lot of the more powerful cards, you get the powerful stuff, but you have to roll the shard dice and take shards. And so you might think, oh, you're not going to want to do those because shards are bad. But the really great mechanic of at the end of the tea party phase you'll get a madness chip. But then the person who has the most shards, so in other words, the person who's potentially done the most crazy stuff, gets an extra madness chip, which is bad. <laughs> but they get to get rid of half of their shards rounded up. So it makes you think sometimes, I'm going to go for those crazy cards and get the most shards because I'm actually going to get rid of half of them and have some really powerful stuff. But then if you miss out, say, by one on having the most shards, then it can be really punishing. It just gives you another really little interesting decision to make. Yeah, so this game has about probably a dozen or more different icons. <laughs> yeah, little homage there. Um, but as you said, Garth, there's so many different player references and stuff that around everywhere that you never are just like, what does that one mean? None of us have any clue at the table. Straight away, you can probably look to your left or right and go, oh, that's what it means. It's written down right there. And even on the back of the book, um, Garth mentioned, which is a thing I didn't, I completely forgot about, that there is a flow chart on the back of the book for the way the battle sequence work. Now, flow charts, anybody <laughs> in board gaming where when you see a flow chart, you go, oh, that means it's complicated because yeah. they've had to put that there. It, it, it made me think it was a coin game. Yeah. Yes. 
Yes, and like for instance, the um the the Batman game that I have, the Gotham City oh, yes. Chronicles, that's an entire book full of flowcharts, which is why it's the worst board game book ever. Um, so that was on the back of the book, and Garth was like, "Oh God, this is going to be complicated." But as I said to him, I think the first battle we ever did out of the fifteen you're going to do in the whole game, yeah. we used it literally sparingly just to kind of walk us through it, even though it was fairly obvious. And then we never looked at it again. But it's there, and it doesn't hurt that it's there. Yeah. Look, there's there's only a couple of things I think were just a little bit more complicated than than the other aspects. One of them was the the what do you do when you bust when you when you've filled up your player board with madness tokens of which you can only ever have four. Yep. Once you do that, you you bust you you've busted. You have to sort of refresh your board. You get to exhaust. Sorry, you get to put your exhausted chips, the chips that you've used, back in your bag, and that's going to be that cycle of I'm drawing chips out. I'm using them. I've then got to get them back into the bag. And the other thing was there's a shield token. This shield token is a double-sided one. One's a, a broken side, one's unbroken. And once you can flip that shield over to basically take one of the madness chips and say, no, nah, I'm not going to use that, put it back in the bag. Mm. So it gives you a little bit of a life. You will only ever be able to refresh that when you have actually busted, which is you've lost all of your people from one region, you are completely kaput, but at least a little bit of a saving grace is that you get to get this shield token back to help you fight another day. Yeah, so the shield token was one of those things that I think was probably added later on in the testing phase where they went, yeah, people are busting too often, we need to put this there. So it kind of, yeah, they kind of slapped that on a little bit at the end. And if that's the one negative we have, that's not bad. And no. about the hundred other positive things we can say. So yeah, so we wrap this up by simply saying that, yeah, I played it the once... Absolutely love that. I imagine there will be an expansion for this considering how popular this is going to be. It'll probably be on Kickstarter. It'll probably be able to pick this up as well as the deluxe version of the original and I will be backing it in a heartbeat. Well, probably one thing we... Well, we could say, because we haven't played it with two players, there are some different rules. But as you mentioned, Garth, the the most fun part of this game is are the battles. And the most fun part of the battles are where you've got multiple people in there fighting, doing, drawing the chips all at once, all watching each other. Oh, I'm getting up past you on the little score track. Oh, we're only this far away from, from being 25 and the automatic win. That that drama is heightened by the fact of having more people in the, um, in the battle. So I personally feel like um, we really enjoyed three, but I kept thinking one more would just make, more chaotic madness. I think playing it with three or four, or f I, know, I really want to try it with five just to see if that craziness goes over the top. Because I do notice on BGG, the community says best at four. Yep. Um, my, my only concern is about the length of it. Yeah. And that's because you, you look, we played in about three hours last night, yeah. but that's including the teaching and the learning. And the sitting around and having a, a chat and a drink and all of that kind of thing. But to play it with four, four, but really with five, you want to have five people and know what they're doing. Yeah. You'll be able to smash through the tea party phase really quite quickly, I think. And the battle phase actually doesn't take that long. So, yeah, I think you, this this is a game that's going to reward repeat play mm -hmm. and probably repeat, repeat play with the same players yeah. a few times. Yeah, that three hours is probably including the setup and the tear down, yeah. which is probably the most difficult part of this entire game. Yeah. Not that it's horrible, but there is a lot of stuff to put back in its respective places. Yeah, and I would strongly suggest that your table rule, whoever loses, is the one who packs it up. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. <laughs> well, that was Wonderland's War, and again, thank you so much to Good Games Australia. 
goodgames.com.au for providing us with a copy of this game because I don't know what, you know, like it's so attractive to look at, but again, when at first glance it's like, oh, it's just a crazy pile of craziness. Is that really what we want to play? We wouldn't have maybe come to this game, but so glad we did. We all had a great time with it. We did. Anyway, you are with the Dice Men Cometh on Edge Radio 99.3 FM. We're going to come back shortly and talk about another game we've been playing recently. So join us very shortly. Hello, hello, Ignacy Trevicek, Portal Games, and you're listening to The Dice Man Comet. Have a great time. We are The Dice Man Cometh here on Edge Radio 99.3 FM, and that was Squaring Circles with a track called In Resolve, an interestingly named band there. Garth? Yes. Isn't it? It is. And do you want to know why? Why? Because as luck would have it, we are about to review a game called Squaring Circleville. What are the odds of that? Crazy. That's just crazy. That's so crazy. That is just amazing. But what is even more amazing is that we are very happy to have had this game supplied to us by Behold Games, who are the Dice Men Cometh's official dice sponsor. Mm. But they are the exclusive distributor of Spielworks games in Australia, of which Squaring Circleville is one of them. Mm-hmm. What is a Circleville and why would you want to square it, I hear you ask, Leon? Well, let me tell you a little story. Okay. Lovely. Established in 1810, Circleville... Ohio, Circleville, derives, oh, I'm not going to do 1950s voices, <laughs> derives its name from the circular portion of a large Hopewell Earthwell earthwork upon which it was built. The Circleville earthworks, as described in 1772, Leon, comprised an 1,100-foot diameter circle connected to a 900-foot square. I don't like this story. Can we have the one about dinosaurs again, please? (laughs) Town director Daniel Dreisbach plotted the town directly atop the earthworks, integrating the town plan into the landscape. An octagonal courthouse stood directly at the centre of the circular road system in the centre of town. Now, to the dismay of Dreisbach, however, the people of Circleville hated the circular roads. People complained that the round roads forced everyone to build on oddly shaped lots and caused confusion. So by the mid-1830s, enough dissatisfaction arose with Circleville's unique radial concentric road layout that the townsfolk petitioned the state assembly to change it. What do we want? Square roads. When do we want them? After we knock down these round ones. That's right. So in 1837, the Circleville Squaring Company... What a coincidence that they were in the town as well. I know. Not a coincidence. I've got to stop the story, but basically their job was to turn a circle into a square. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where we find ourselves. It's like some sort of game. Exactly right. So in Squaring Circleville, you work for the Circleville Squaring Company to manage the process of deconstructing and then reconstructing the town of Circleville. You will move around the courthouse, which is a rondelle, which is cool. Yeah. Um, model getting permits to perform form work, such as deconstructing and then constructing roads, demolishing buildings, and building them again as well. 
So this game, which is a um, a wonderful player game, and very very briefly, we aren't solo gamers, but if we were, this is probably the type of game a solo gamer like me would prefer, because you can play it with up to three bots, and each of them play the game very very differently. Mm, now they have names. They do. Yes. <laughs> oh, excellent. Um, I'm never going to play it solo. <laughs> no. However, it's not just I follow a flowchart. Yeah. It is each of them have a unique ability. But um, community says best at three. Um, that's what we played it we at did. last time. The three yep. of us sat around a very large gaming table. Thank you, Leon. No says it takes around about two hours. But again, take those numbers with a grain of salt. If you're learning the game, add another zero or at least a bit of extra time. But to this that. definitely, compared to Wonderland Wars, this definitely we didn't go that much longer, I think, even on our first game of this. It no. did accelerate quite quickly once we got the, the flow of how a turn works. Yes. Yeah, that's right. So look, I mean, the thing is, you're going to have your own individual player board. There's going to be the main board. And you start by sort of having this, this board there, which is not a double-layered board, but it will be. Mm. Because it starts in circles, and as you convert it, you're placing over new squarey shapes to at least get the roads to be square. And then you've got a close-up of this courthouse that was in the middle of Circleville, which is your rondelle. And that's simple because rondelle mechanics are cool. But what I like about this one is that there's also, at the end of each of the eight slices of the rondelle pie, there's a stack of four discs, mm. which are in the colours of the four potential actions that you can do. So when you land your worker on each of the slices and you say, I'm going to do this action, you get to do that action plus the action of the top disc. And it's completely randomised, it's completely chance, you just draw them out of a bag. And that really adds a bit of interest and, and variety to, if you didn't have that, it'd kind of be a bit stagnant, I think. It would be one of those almost perfect information games where you actually, I think, could solve it beforehand because you have to do this, then this, then this, then this. So many times I found, okay, what I really want to do next is I want to do these two things. That means I want orange and green. Oh, shoot. Orange and green together aren't in my range of movement for the rondelle, so I've got to think about something else I have to do. That's right. And look, you know, your movement on the rondelle is one or two. However, like a lot of other rondelle games, you don't include any characters you jump over. So if my meeple was here and Leon and Mark, you were taking up the next two spaces... I would jump over both of you for my first space and then go to, to the next one for, for the second one. Um, what you'll get to do is you'll then get to do the two actions in what any order you just mm. decide to do. And the actions are really, really simple because there's only four of them. One is deconstruct some red roads, reconstruct some blue roads, demolish buildings, build buildings. And that's it. And that's all you're going to do for the whole duration of this game. And you will start primarily demolishing stuff because you need to demolish those nasty circles so you can place those beautiful squares and that's what you'll do you'll you'll move your little worker around the rondelle you'll also be able to move your solo one worker on the board to get you to the little bit of circleville that you want to go and do because you're doing it in blocks place some cubes to say i have placed three deconstruction cubes I've placed three reconstruction cubes. I've, I've removed some, some buildings there. And once you are able to have cleared out one particular section of the map, you'll then get to do a reconstruction, which is basically placing this second layer on the board to show, oh, we've reconstructed that bit. 
on future actions, I can build these new beautiful square buildings. So back to the movement of your player, so the person that you have moving around the board, the movement for this game is actually quite good because you can move that guy nearly any time during your actions. You can do it before, you can do it kind of during, you can do it after, which is something that in these type of games you think, oh, it's going to be limited, but you're a bit more open in this game to the way you move around because you do it twice, do you not? Yeah, you do. And what what is good is that everyone with your own little individual player board starts with essentially the same actions. So for one deconstruction action, I can deconstruct two roads. However, when I do that action on the rondelle, every time I do it, I get to take the disc of the little stack at the end of the slice of eight Mm -hmm. and put that on the relevant colour on my board, thus making future actions of that particular type more and more powerful. Yeah, so you're levelling up your actions and each turn, although you're getting two actions each turn, one of them is going to be from the pie slice, which you won't upgrade, but the one that's from the disc you will. So you then start to, again, get an interesting decision of, okay, which action do I think I might need more of? So instead of placing two cubes, I could place three or four or even five. And as we saw when we played it, you know, I started ramping up the building actions. Both of you, I think, started ramping up the road actions and you start to be quite different players quite quickly. But as you also level up on that board and you kind of get to the point where like, I've pretty much destroyed every road in this town. (laughs) What am I going to do? But if you move up enough on that track, every single level of that track has an alternate action. So there's always other stuff that you can do. And as you advance in the game, they're things you're going to do more often. Things like, you know, giving yourself special abilities that aren't the same as everybody else and all that kind of jazz to make it a bit more unique. Yeah, well, that's it. Because, um, you know, you might want to have to buy some equipment which will give you a slight advantage or tweak the rules a little bit. You might want to beautify the city because instead of buildings, you get to place a, a, a tree, which a is, a, is a cube. Yeah. Um, you get to you know upgrade a building, so you're turning your three-star hotel into a four-star hotel, which means placing a cube. Um, or <laughs> once you've upgraded something to the highest level, you then can start to get achievement tiles. And this is your end game scoring. Now, you're only ever going to be able to have three pieces of equipment and or three achievement tiles during the game. So you'll start the game by focusing on your your equipment to boost whatever your capabilities need to be to get them faster and faster and build more things or destruct more things quickly. And then you want to switch to achievements where you're going to get bonuses for achieving certain things. And primarily they're around having buildings in a quadrant because the main board of, of Circleville is quadranted. You've got, you know, A, B, C, and D, I guess. And there's three different types of buildings. So, for example, in quadrant A, I might get a couple of victory points for every gold-coloured building that has my cube next to it in that particular quadrant. Or I might get one victory point for every one of the wooden-coloured buildings on the board because I've managed to get that achievement tile. Yep. The only person who gets those bonuses is the one who has that, that particular tile in front of it. And there's heaps of those. Oh, there's tiles. so yes. many. And that's really great because replayability is key. And you're going to be playing this game basically from, I think, 1837 through to 1856, I think, is the time frame. It's it did seem like, like it, it took that long, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but basically, at the end of every one of those um, periods, you'll get a, a little bonus token. Another achievement tile becomes available, and you'll then be able to subsequently take it in future turns. So it plays pretty smoothly quite quickly, I found. Yeah, I was going to say, and all jokes aside about playtime, because you are ramping up those abilities where... 
you know, at the start you're placing two cubes, but uh, at the end I think some of them you're placing five cubes or being able to destroy or build three buildings. The turns do speed up. You're able to do a lot more. And as Leon said, because you've got the opportunity to sometimes you can move during an action, you might end up doing things in a number of different sectors, which also then unlocks that ability of placing down those new bits of pie and, and giving access to more actions. Yeah, something definitely worth mentioning is this game, you've probably tell from the description of, of the tiles and the cubes and the other cubes and the other cubes, is that this game is Euro <laughs> as, hmm, mm. as the kids would say, which is completely fine. But the thing is, that a lot of those type of Euro games, they're normally quite rules heavy and a bit more complicated. Whereas this game, once we got going, we didn't actually refer to the rules very much at all. And sadly, this is one of those games that it hasn't been as widely you know, distributed as a lot of other games. So there wasn't much in the way of like, say, YouTube videos and stuff about it and the learning of it. But we found we did relatively well just from learning it from the rule book. And we didn't have to look back at it too much. For a game that if you saw this just on a table with, again, all your tiles and all your cubes and all your different actions and stuff, you'd think, oh, God, a Euro game where it's going to take me an hour or so to learn it and whatever. And it's just not. It's not that it's, again, when I say it's simple, it doesn't mean, oh, this game is so simple and it's boring. No, 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 no. It just doesn't screw with your head. Well, it's one of those games where your actions are inherently simple, but the reasons behind them become more complicated. And, yep. and I guess the key thing about this is the way we've described it, you just go around upgrading, demolishing, rebuilding, that kind of thing. But especially in the first probably half to maybe two-thirds of this game, you're not going to have your um, player board built up enough and upgraded enough to be able to do everything you need to do in one action. Yep. So you're going to be going around Circleville and going, okay, well, I can demolish three of the four roads that need to be demolished here and I can get rid of a structure. But what that means if I do that is that the next player who appears on that section can just do one build action and one more destruction, and lo and behold, they've taken the credit for converting that particular place of Circleville, which means they get some victory points for it. So it's this really balancing act of, okay, I'm going to go here and do my couple of actions because I know that Leon and Mark can't finish them off because their meeple is either too far away or their actions haven't been upgraded enough, or how can I go and basically kill Steel the little bit of Circleville yep. that Mark has put this effort into so that I can claim the last little bit to get the victory points, to get this token, to get this achievement, and to also screw Mark over, which is something that everyone should do. Or if you go into the brain of, say, a Leon-type person, you could look at it and go, <laughs> hang on, as long as I chuck down you know, my little footprint on nearly every section of this game, anytime someone decides to, I finally built the magic square, ha-ha, I just kind of go... But I had a hand in it, mate, and get some points as yeah. well, which was lovely for young Leon. Yeah, and that's, um, I don't know if you mentioned, Garth, that's one of the fascinating things is, yes, there's destructive stuff you can do, but none of the destructive stuff actually scores victory points. Correct. Except for the fact that the last, the person who does the last one gets to basically put that new square bit down. But then once the square bit's down, every cube that you or anyone adds to the newly squared section lets you go up on one of on the quadrant track and then on the quadrant track at the end of the game you'll get victory points depending on where you are on that track as well as you've got your normal victory point track which is where you score victory points for other things do you reckon quadrant's the boringest word in the world <laughs> i know we've had to mention it a lot in this game but i just wanted to say because as the person around this table at the moment that is probably least into your euro style type of games even though i've grown a lot over the years and the fact that i've grown a bit older um 
I quite enjoyed this game quite a lot. You've, um, gro- you've grown a bit. I did, I did. I did enjoy this quite a bit. Um, there's one slight issue that I want to bring up, because we've been talking quite glowing about this game, because we should, because it's good, and it's a game we're going to be bringing to BorderCon, because we'd like more people in our hobby to get around this game to play it, um, is the look of it. Because <laughs> it's a bit bland, isn't it? Well, it's 1830s Ohio. Don't try to defend it, They only had three different colours of dirt there. No, the actual design of the board and stuff in this game, it looks like a slightly zhuzhed up prototype, let's kind of be honest. Well, look, yes, it's it's not beautiful. Uh, Look... I don't know whether that's the Spielworks thing. Our, you know, Simon's thing is let's make beautiful plastic minis mm. and make it look fantastic. And Spielworks are going, how about we make games ugly and just see whether that works for a little while? I don't know. I think a happy medium would probably be the best way to go for everybody involved. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, those four colours of the rondelle, they're quite bright colours. Yeah. And I look, maybe they're going for a feel of the circle-y version of Circleville is sort of a raw... Dirt sort of colour. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. But still, it's... (laughs) Look, this is a game where you need to get beyond that and go, the the fundamentals are actually sound. Yeah, it doesn't matter after a while, but it would be nice if it was a bit prettier, that's all. Well, yes. I mean, anyone with a 3D printer or the inclination can go and make it much more beautiful, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, But look, I really recommend this game. I think it is a really solid quality game. Um, and I thank Behold Games for sending it to us. It's, it is available through their online store, which is wonderful. Yeah. Well, we've had a crazy episode because we've had two games that pretty much we've all loved, apart from a couple of little nitpicky things. Um, but hey, that's an episode. And you know what? Let's go to BorderCon. Yes. Yes, we're going to go to BorderCon with help from Good Games and Behold Games as well, which thank you for the two games you've sent us through this episode. We are most grateful. So we'll put this up in a little while. Um, you won't have us next week, of course, because you don't normally, but we'll be in BorderCon. Hopefully we'll meet some of you there. Have an amazing time. Play lots of games. Oh, we're going to have so much to talk about when we come back. You all take care of each other and yourselves. Play more games. Say hello if you're at BorderCon. Hello. And uh, we'll talk to you when we get back. We've been the Dice Man Cometh. We've been here at Edge Radio 99.3 FM. And now we'll be going out the door. So... Have a lovely evening and bye. Bye. We are. You've been listening to another episode of The Dice Men Cometh, proudly brought to you by LFG Australia. Be sure to check out lfg-oz.com.au for all the details of their online and physical retail store. You can find us at dicebencometh.com or on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. And don't forget, you can support us on Patreon too. Thanks for listening.